Hello, and welcome to Football Masterminds, the show where we attempt to say intelligent things about football. We even spell football in a really suave way. I'm Reese Desmond, and if you think I'm the only one on this call, well then think again, because I am joined here by four people. First, the Fulham to my second half destruction. Here is my co-host, Kosti. Let's get this started. And of course, we could not do a show without the Chris Wilder to my sack. Here is Russell Toe. Hey, Reese. Hey, everyone. Thanks for the introduction. Yeah, I'm just so happy to be here again. Also very excited because Messi just produced a world-class goal over the week. Liverpool beat Leipzig. I have no idea how that happened. And yeah, I think Barcelona are going to do very well in the La Liga. Atletico is not playing very well right now, so I'm just hoping that continues. There you go again, shouting out Barcelona in your introductions. It never ends, does it, Russell? But you know what? I'm not even going to let you answer that because it's time to move on. We are so excited to have our very first guests here on the show. And we don't just have one. We have two fantastic guests today. It's not just Russell and Costi joining me today. We also have, first up, the Jamie Vardy assist king to my Ihenacho. We have Kevin Ravendran. Hey, what's up, Reese? Hey, Russ. Hey, Costi. It's great to be here. We're planning to unpack, and I'm just looking forward to add my input. Looking very much forward to having you, Kevin. It's it's great to talk to you on the podcast. And of course, last but not least, a big Tottenham fan, so he must be feeling kind of sad today. But we have the Eric Lamella to my stunning Rabona. Here is Ziming Gao. Hey guys, it's really nice to be here, and as Reese already said, not in the best of mood today, but at least uh, Lamella produced that world-class Rabona, so at least something to look back in the history books for. Great to be here, guys. I got nothing to say. Nothing. Nothing to say. So, a big week across the board. Champions League, Premier League, so much to talk about. Let's get right into it. There was much in the way of excitement in the Champions League this week. And I think if we've learned anything in the round of 16, it's almost like we've learned that Mbappe and Holland are just on like a different planet right now to everyone else. And we have been asked many, many times throughout the week about Mbappe and Holland and whether or not they're better than Messi and Ronaldo at this point. So let's start right away with that question. And it came from Emeraldo first and lots and lots of people also submitted a very similar question about Holland and Mbappe and what's next for Messi and Ronaldo. Do we think at this point that those two youngsters have finally dethroned the two greatest players on earth? Do we think Mbappe and Holland are officially the new Messi-Ronaldo? You know, having just grown up in the Messi-Ronaldo era and every era, everybody has different favorites and, you know, there's the best, but uh, there is definitely a shout for Messi and Ronaldo to be the greatest of all time. So seeing them sort of getting dethroned by by Erling Haaland and Kylian Mbappe is is definitely something that I didn't envision. So you, you can never imagine that happening, and but it is now. Um, I would say that they still have some more seasons to go, uh, where they produce in and uh, goals and assists in and out to be uh, on that level. I think Kylian Mbappe is slowly is is more there than Erling Haaland, but uh, but they're not quite there yet. I mean, um, there was a big there was a big this is this is sort of off topic, but there's a there was a big uh, shout for Salah in the what was it seventeen eighteen season when he scored forty goals. Everybody was saying, oh hey, like he's he's going to be the new Messi and he's going to be the new Ronaldo. And uh, even still, he scored he scored twenty five goals this season, but nobody's comparing the, it to them because um, they're just on a different planet. They score. 
40 goals consistently for 10 plus seasons and that's just insane yeah i do think it's like a matter of them being both so young that like we kind of heap all of this praise on them when probably like Lewandowski and Bruno Fernandes and Kevin De Bruyne are all on the same playing field with them already and Russell you're a big fan of Lionel Messi and you watch quite a lot of Barcelona has his form really dropped off at all or is it just the team around him um his form hasn't really dropped off at all um if anything yes I think it's the team around him uh Messi he plays in a number 10 role he plays in a free role to be honest he doesn't really have like a set position every single game just plays wherever and I think that the way his role works is that if his team is not performing well, then he can't do much. Um, he can only do so much, right? And he still has the ability to score goals week in, week out, which just shows how good he is. Um, I've always told many of my friends that he is a playmaker who scores 50 goals a season. Um, I don't know whether you guys agree with me, but that's like saying like De Bruyne and Bruno Fernandes scoring 40 50 goals every single season is what Messi's doing. Um, that just shows how good he is. Um, and yeah, so I I think right now, Messi and Ronaldo are still the two current best players in the world. I I can't oh. see Holland and Mbappe dethroning them um, like right now. It will come. The time will definitely come. I mean, Messi and Ronaldo, they're both in their mid-30s. Uh, they cannot play forever, right? So the day will come. But I think right now, I will still say Messi and Ronaldo are better than both of them. Yeah, Ronaldo with a hat-trick today. Very surprised you said that they're the best two in the world, though, even ahead of Lewandowski. The one thing that people do forget is that uh, Ronaldo is three years older than Messi. And he's 36. And Messi, I think, is 33 or is he 34. But that's still quite an age difference that people don't stop cap for, which I don't think is fair to Ronaldo. I think three years ago, Ronaldo was was still, he might have been a little higher or the same level as Messi. So that's that's really something that I feel like gets lost in translation, which isn't fair to Ronaldo. I think, I think slowly we're seeing the tectonic plates shift to a new mountain that is Holland and uh, Mbappe. But I don't think the current mountain, Mount Everest of Ronaldo and Messi is currently done um, there to be eclipsed like like uh, you guys have said like Ronaldo scored a banger of a hat trick today. So Messi is smashing goals. Ronaldo just I think scored 770 goals. I think he tied or beat Pele's record. Um, like the, both of those guys, they've they've been always been able to push off each other to perform at the best level. And to have these two youngsters only pushes them even higher. And with um, big international competitions coming up, such as the Copa America, which Messi still has never won. And the Euros, Ronaldo's looking to repeat as well as uh, upcoming World Cup next year, which may be their, both their last dance. They both want to be in the best form to perform for their countries, especially, as well as their clubs to continue. And I think because of that drives, as well as these other young up-and-coming players, no doubt, is going to push them like they've been pushed in the past. And I think um, it's great to see, and it's going to be exciting no matter what. Well, there's one thing I think we should all really consider here is that you notice that none of these poor, four people are in the same leagues, right? They all play in four complete separate leagues. So there's never that match day when you see any of them pinned up against each other, bar the only time in the Champions League. But even then, when you just recently saw it, it was a Ronaldo versus Porto effort, right? You know, in the grand scheme of things, you don't really see these people get mashed up that frequently against each other. And I guess just going back to the point of, you know, whether or not these two youngsters are taking over. I mean, just looking at the stats, like in the Bundesliga, Lewandowski is still miles ahead of Mbappe, right? He's at 32. Mbappe hasn't hit 20 yet. And right on Mbappe's tail is Frankfurt's Andre Silva. 
right? Very deadly, very clinical in front of the net. So, you know, I understand, you know, Holland has a lot of hype behind him. You know, he's a young talent. But if we're strictly talking about goals, if we're strictly, and what, Dortmund's fifth in the table right now, right? That's not even Champions League in the Bundesliga, right? And if we're talking about legitimate numbers and stats, I think Holland at least still has a way to go. And I guess with Mbappe, he is leading league on right now, I believe, by four goals uh, to Memphis Depay's 14. So Mbappe's at 18 right now. Um, I guess there's an elephant in the room here, and is that his teammate Neymar is also very competitive in that league as well. So you know, until Mbappe can really declare himself the king of League One, the king of Paris, then maybe from there on we can start talking about some bigger competition and comparing him against players of other leagues or in the grand scheme of things the champions league agreed that holland is young and he'll get better and maybe you know he'll eclipse Lewandowski once but has there ever really been a conversation truly for a sustained period of time where we see that Lewandowski is on messi and ronaldo's level in the past four years it's it's happened periodically but there's no sustained pressure to say that hey Lewandowski is on that level he's he's a level below he's always compared to the level below and which is that's the that's the other thing that people keep forgetting is maybe do that in for 10 seasons straight then you could talk about it but you know there everybody's always looking for the next Messi and Ronaldo and currently it's Killian and Haaland leading the race to potentially be something but if people start throwing conclusivity yeah. at it I think that's it's too premature. Reese you mentioned that when I said Messi and Ronaldo are two best players in the world you said uh, Lewandowski should be above. I don't disagree. That's 100% true. However, saying Lewandowski is better than both of them right now is the same as saying Luka Modric was better than Messi and Ronaldo at the time that he won uh, the Ballon d'Or. Yeah. I think, in my opinion, look, in my opinion, in terms of form, Lewandowski probably is... Lewandowski, Kylian Mbappe, and Erling Haaland are probably the top three players just on form, based on form. But the true two best players still, in my opinion, the true two best players... Is still Messi Ronaldo. I think when you look at stuff like who's the best player this season or last season, very much so, if it's not Messi Ronaldo related, it's someone who was on form. That's why someone like Luka Modric won the Ballon d'Or because he was just on fire. Everything well went well for him. Croatia got to the final, so he won the Ballon d'Or. But that doesn't mean that Luka Modric is better than Messi Ronaldo. He's not the best player in the world. He just had a really good season. I think Lewandowski is not better than both of them. He just had a really good season with Bayern Munich. It's a tremendous season, 100%. He deserves all the awards. But with Holland and Mbappe, I think we're still seeing the same thing. They're very young, right? Mbappe's like 22, Holland's like 20. They're both scoring tremendous amount of goals. But I just don't think now's the time to say that Messi would not have been dethroned. Uh, Mbappe and Holland are uh, leading the race, which is what Kasi said. That 100% is true. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, Russell. I think that's a really good point to make because I don't think anyone would have not had Lewandowski as the best player in the world in 2020. But does that actually make him a better player than Messi and Ronaldo? I think that's a very astute point that you're making. I also just wanted to go back to Zeming's point that this is a while ago. He scored 41 goals in 38 matches, Erling Holland. Like, I don't think his goals per game or goals per minute ratio could be much better than that. It's pretty outrageous. Um, like, 10 in 6 Champions League games, for example, is absolutely unbelievable. And, like, as someone who watches him and has watched him and Sancho, I think, every single game since they've come to Dortmund, I would not put them in the top 5. I think they're just outside of it. But his 
actual aptitude for scoring goals is unlike anybody I've ever seen, including Lewandowski. And I think if you put him in Bayern Munich, that he scores more goals. So yeah, I, I think this is a really interesting conversation. I do think we're witnessing a shift um, very, very soon that will take place. But for now, I think what you are all saying is very sound, that Messi and Ronaldo are probably still at the level that they deserve to be known as the two best players in the world right now. But I'm going to go away and I'm going to deviate from the pack here. Lewandowski, number one. Kevin De Bruyne, number two. Lionel Messi, number three. Mbappe four, Ronaldo five, Holland Sancho. Wow. Oh, we're going to have some, some hate in the comments section for <laughs> this for sure. Let's go, Sacadier, Bruno Fernandez. Seven. Whoever's listening, please comment on your, I guess, top five and, and see if, if you match Reese's idea here. I'm not, I'm going to wait for the comments and then next uh, next podcast, I'm going to pick this up because this is too controversial, man. I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to get my name smeared. We got this question about Lewandowski and this sort of like, when will the sticker expire? And that was sort of the phrasing of it. And he has like this uncanny durability where he's never injured. He always has like the top fitness I've seen of like most players in the world. I think there's something to be said here about players like Ibrahimovic playing into their late 30s. And Lewandowski could easily be that kind of player as well. I don't think his sticker per se is going to expire anytime soon. We kind of just look at a player like Zlatan now like he's nothing but he still is scoring goals at one of the best rates in all of Europe. Lewandowski could be that player as well for the next 10 years. And if someone's waiting for Lewandowski to do 10 years of Messi and Ronaldo work, perhaps it actually could still happen. I don't think his uh, durability is going to die down anytime soon. And to, to add on to that, at, I think a lot of what Lewandowski's success has been also is the, the play of like the wing players on Bayern. I like the Serge Gnabry's, um, uh, Kingsley Coleman and they brought in Leroy Sané like that service into the box and now you got Pavard on the, on, uh, coming up the wing as well as Alfonso Davies it frees up the middle as well for them so their midfield of Kimmich, Goretzka, Muller can all play it off of that um, I think that's really important for someone like Lewandowski who's a pure like goal scorer as well. Alright let's move on now to some Premier League action it was uh, a disappointing day, I'm sure, for you, Zimming, with uh, Tottenham and their big defeat against Arsenal. I guess, what are your sort of overarching opinions on the match? Okay, so I'm never really someone to blame something aside from the 11 players. But today, I have to blame on the ref. Uh, that second goal that Lacazette scored from the penalty was clearly uncalled for. Um, that challenge on Lacazette, in my opinion, happened after he kicked the ball. So I don't. I think it's the wrong call. I don't think there should be a penalty in there in the first place. But you know, th- that being said, I can't place the entire burden of today's defeat on a one missed call because, admittedly, we were down to ten men afterwards because Eric Lamella clearly couldn't control his emotions and just decided to whack people while he's playing. <laughs> And that's the thing you get, right, with Eric Lamella. He's the type to be very creative, has a lot of flair, and to an extent has some of of a attitude that comes with him, right? So, you know, I I don't really blame him for his trickery. Maybe he made up for it with his goal. But I guess just in general in the first half, what I saw from my team was, you know, these players, I, I never really felt like they understood who they were playing against. It's the North London Derby. And to a Tottenham fan, that is the biggest game the whole season, especially when we play it at Wea as well, at the Emirates. So the whole time, players looked very sluggish. Um, there wasn't much 
you know, fighting them. Players weren't pushing up when they needed to. I didn't know why Matt Doherty even started today. Um, I think Mourinho was taking much more of a gamble on the game that should have been played a little bit more conservative with a little bit more fight. You know, I, I personally believe that Rabona goal wasn't wasn't really it was more so luck, I wanna say. And, you know, really at you. the end of the day that <laughs> Arsenal was the better team. Sure, when Lamilla got sent off, you know, we started, you know, trying and we started playing. Harry Kane has some, you know, pretty good attempts. But that was just a little bit too late. Arsenal were actually more nervous when Tottenham went down to 10 men. Yep. And the Aubameyang story. Aubameyang was left out because he was late. Ziming just said that Mourinho should have played this conservatively. And that's the one thing everybody unanimously criticizes Mourinho for because he plays too conservative. So I want your guys' opinion on what do you guys think if that's right. And, and really, the first goal, do you guys believe that it was because of Bale that they were able to score the first goal? There's there's no one to blame, really, right? The ref, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Goes back to my first point. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but Bale did not... The whole game, and this was this was every pundit, whatever analysis was happening on all all shows, everybody yeah. was saying, Bale did not track back. Bale looks awful, like, honestly. Bale looks like a guy who's who thinks he's really too good for oh. for the team Ooh, so he doesn't track back harry if harry kane probably the the best striker um when aguero is not fit what is this two years ago <laughs> in the epl can track back that's uh i mean on a general level yes when your team is defending everybody should be back bar except your one target man up top right but you know i i can't i can't really can't blame you? Why, why? Like that's what okay, I'm. Okay, on a so, very on a very deep level, uh, a little bit. Well, not a little. Very biased here is that Bill is my favorite player of all time at Tottenham. Well, that, yeah. So, so that 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 brings it out. You know, I remember when I was younger, it was his nights lighting up the lane that really got me into it all in the first place, right? Yeah. So when he came back and him just starting is like like my greatest highlight of the day, right? So just seeing him be in the shirt again and you know playing the way he does. I think I can be critical of almost everyone on the field. Every time Bale plays, even if he puts up a really bad display, I just can't seem to blame him too much. You know, I, I know it's not fair and very tactical analysis to say that, but you know, I, I still say, where was Doherty at that time, right? Where was where yeah. was the rest of our defense, right? Like, where's he's he's not like Bale. Yes, he started off as a left back. He came from Southampton as a defender, but you know, like you don't blame us conceding goals on Bale. I mean, you right. do, right? Like the whole point of the the game now is that it's an eleven v eleven game. No, the 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 old days where you had your four defensemen and that that was it. it that's sort of done, right? If Mohamed Salah, who's blamed for not tracking back, tracks back more than Bale, there's some problem because he's the top scorer in the league. So it's just like a simple thing you could just follow up. Like that doesn't it doesn't reduce your goals. If you track back, you know, like that's not a statement that's valid. And if that's not valid, then there's no excuse for you to not track back. Uh, I think is right. I think um, with Bale, like like Zimming said, like back in the day, you know, we've seen those flashes of Bale, even with at Real Madrid, those flashes of brilliance when you think like, God damn, like this guy's like flying down the wing. Um, you know, he's like, he's like, you know, like that Alfonso Davies speed that we were talking about, right? He had it. He had a, a brilliant left foot. Um, I think I think that's what Marino's looking for is a kind of that spark that a bit of electricity on the team. You know, like we talk about Spurs are always being like that super conservative team, park the bus type of thing. 
but at some point you need to get forward and with with son and with uh kane sometimes you need a bit extra on there i think bale provides that flair in there especially but, what when eric lamella isn't taking second yellows right but you know no one was expecting him at real madrid nor when he came back to tottenham to be really playing an integral part in the defense i mean i understand in the, in the modern game you know, the fluidity, you know, players thinking of many positions, players tracking back to defend is a key aspect of it, right? But, you know, I don't think that, you know, blaming a certain goal on, you know, far up outfield players not coming back and doing their best to defend should be the first point of, of reference, right? Again, like I said, what was your defense doing, right? Like, where was all the positioning against guarding people inside the box, right? You can't expect someone so far up the field to be tracking back and running back. You have someone much closer to, like, Odegaard, right? So, um, sure, I guess if Bale did his part, there be, might be a lower chance of that happening. But I really don't think that, you know, he played a big role in letting that happen. Yeah, I agree. I think you can never blame just one player for a goal. It is always a team effort. It's pretty ridiculous if people are saying that Bale is responsible for that goal. Um, like your Salah comparison also, Costi, is completely different because Salah has actively given the ball away very poorly on two occasions that have led directly to goals, whereas not tracking back is a little bit different, I think. And also, I don't know if we're ready to move on to this, so feel free to shut me down if we're not, but I don't know how you can say that's not a penalty. Like, if I karate kick you, it doesn't really matter where the ball is. If it ends up in row Z, that probably matters more in terms of it not being a penalty than what actually happened because he scuffed the shot so badly that it was going to stay in the box and stay in play. So the fact that he couldn't actually run onto it because he had been karate kicked makes it even more of a penalty. So to blame this on the ref is actually outrageous to me. But but the karate kick happened after he made contact with the ball. Does that matter, though? I don't think it matters, man. I think it's still a penalty, yeah. dude. I think also, um, like, from a from an attacker's point of view, you have, to, like, you have to give him a space to land, right? Like, after he shoots, he needs, like, a room to, like, land. If you watch, like, basketball, like, when the player's jumping and shooting, you can't just go and stick your feet under them where they're trying to land, right? That's, like, a foul. And also, we saw that with Ronaldo's, I think it was second goal on the penalty he drew. Same thing. He completely shanked it into, like, Rosette, like Reese was saying. But then the goalie, like, tripped his foot after. So it's a similar type of thing. Like, um, and I think that's, like, uh, maybe something they have to adapt to. But, um, yeah, I, I agree that it should have been a penalty. That is fair. And I think where I'm coming from is, I mean... I'm not sure how much you guys watch Davinson Sanchez, but the guy is oh. a pretty clumsy defender. Yes. Right? Like, yes. I like to make a reference. He's like an elephant inside, like, a china shop. Like, the guy is <laughs> knocking things over left, right, and center. <laughs> and the amount of fouls he's given out, the amount of penalties he's given away, yeah. is, like, off the charts. Like, I can't think of anyone at Tottenham who, who is... Danny like, Rose? Yeah. He doesn't really play anymore, but, you know, <laughs> um, you know, but just like I get it. He's strong. He's tough. He's aggressive. But many times you just couldn't really control, you know, the outcome of what he does. And I guess from a fan perspective, I've gotten so used to seeing him taking on a more aggressive role. And he's gotten away with a lot of very aggressive challenges as well. Right. So just having that mentality inside of me and seeing, you know, Lacazette charge down and seeing him, you know, sky a ball away. I mean, I personally didn't think that that was much of a problem, right? Given knowing, you know, coming from a more neutral perspective and coming from, I guess, what VAR and what replay has to say. Yeah, I see your point. You know, if it's not related to the ball, you're literally yeah. kicking someone midair, right? Even that deserves a penalty, right? <laughs> you're hurting someone. Well, uh, yeah, well, Zimming, Zimming, think about this. If um, if Lacazette, if Davison Sanchez was not near Lacazette, 
and Lacazette was clear on goal. Won't you think Lacazette would do will do something better with the ball than just sky it? I think Lacazette was also feeling pressured uh, when Sanchez came in. That caused him to like miscontrol the ball or miskick the ball. Well, that's not Sanchez's fault. That's Lacazette's fault. That's him not having enough composure in front of net. No, but I feel like it's the defender. The defender still played a role in pressuring him. That's why when uh, Sanchez eventually kicks him, it's like he kind of messed up Lacazette's shot. Kind of messed up his life. Yeah, could have terrible time. He, he, he could have broken his ankle. Knocked him out. Simply, I mean, simply terrible be, time. Him up. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, when I was when I played football when I was younger, you know, I played fullback and I did whatever I could to stop the other person from coming in. This included shouting. This included screaming. This included whatever I could to distract them. Right, and you know, Sanchez is I've, a big guy, scary guy. You know, charging at you full speed. That that's a part of the game, you know. That's what it takes to stop someone like Lacazette from scoring, right? So I don't think that was really the case, you know. Having contact with the ball or not, I feel like again that's a very much gray area because if he didn't sky the ball, that foot might be where the ball actually was. Even as a as a like casual referee, um, all of our training included recognizing follow throughs and whether a follow through was then dangerous to a player. Um, and that this that's exactly what it was. I mean, he was clearly going for the ball, mm. but when he missed, his follow through kicked Lacazette up and down like like the karate kid he was. <laughs> and anyone looking at this who is ref from like the most basic levels to obviously for referees will see, hey, the follow through you gotta you get you you know that's a foul, and mm. that happens with any kind of tackle. You could see even uh, people who get the ball and then follow through kick or go through a player to get the ball. That's a foul in any part of the field. So I think I understand your from like a fan perspective how you could like there's a there's an argument there, but from usual perspective, like over eighty percent of people would probably say it was a penalty. Yeah, and I would like to stay on Sanchez for a bit, though, because going away from the penalty for a second, I don't know why Tottenham are persisting with these players over and over again. And I I would definitely be interested to hear your thoughts on this, I mean, because Alderweireld hasn't been good. He was pretty bad in this game also, just kind of like hitting lawn passes to no one, especially after Son came off. There was no one to hit these passes to, and he continued to do it. Matt Doherty, like you already said, he's probably not your best right back like where has Tanganga been where are some of these other young players that could easily come through right now because Sanchez is not performing and you look at Arsenal your best three players on Arsenal right now are a 20 year old a 19 year old and a 22 year old I don't understand why Tottenham isn't relying more on young players See, that's a really interesting point that you brought up and if you were to ask me how Tottenham can improve as a whole the first place I would point to is our center halves so as you mentioned Sanchez is pretty unreliable. Toby is definitely past his prime. And so what else do we have on our team? We have Eric Dyer. Uh, we should probably not get started on that can of worms. I think he's better than both of them right now. Yeah, and then we have Tenganga. So Tenganga is started off as a center back, and he sometimes plays makeshift right back. But it's just from you know watching you know the Tottenham series on Amazon and just you know watching a lot of videos related to it. Mourinho encourages him, but doesn't put enough trust in him. Yes, he's played a few games. He started a couple games, but he's not at that level that Mourinho expects out of someone that he is familiar with from all his years seeing a proper center back, a proper right back. And I'm namely referring to his time at Chelsea, right? Tanganga's no Ivanovic. Tanganga's no Terry. 
right? You really have to make a solid impression on Mourinho, who, first of all, already doesn't really prefer youngsters in all his past teams. And for someone to really step in into the heart of a leaky defense as well. Right. So I don't really see like I, under, I, I understand why Tanganga is not at Mourinho's level to for him to start in the center back yet. He would rather prefer experience over, you know, what Tanganga has to offer. And I guess, you know, when you take this out, we have Joe Rodon left, who came from Swansea back in October. I still don't really have much of an opinion on him because I really haven't seen him play that often. And, you know, a youngster from the championship. Here we go again, right? Like this is this is again out of Marino's comfort zone, right? So you're going to look at, you know, who the manager is and what his past preference is with these younger players from, you know, in this case, a lower tier side. And, you know, in the past, we had Oliver Skip, who won a lot of claim. People think he's the next Tottenham captain and he's doing pretty well. Only he's at Norwich right now, right. who's also in the championship, right? So as you can see right now, Reese, we don't have that much depth left in that in in the center back positions, right? We're making people play maybe makeshift center backs. We're not really relying on youngsters, and you know Daniel Levy isn't really opening up his wallet to buy Skriniar from Inter Milan last time when we had the chance to. So we're at a place where there's no trust in youngsters. Alderweireld is getting too old, and we're not going to buy anyone else. So if I were to compare, we're just relying on luck. We can week out with these guys. If I were to compare Mourinho, um, in terms of like the corporate world, because obviously I work in it, so it's like Mourinho's. If Mourinho were to be were to be a CEO, CEO, he would he would be a CEO of a bank, a rigid bank that prefers seniority over talent. You know, if yep. you're if you're 55 but you're a Dumbo, you're probably gonna be getting paid more and be in a senior position. Um, whereas a startup coach like Arteta even, um, you know, who understands that young people can still do well and therefore startups exist in this world. It's just what it is. I mean, he's grown up. Uh, Mourinho's a coach that's very old school in his thinking. Yep. So there's nothing nothing wild about him not playing a youngster because he thinks that seniority is always beneficial, where in this the case, experience. it's not. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it again, Eric Dyer was on the England national team, right? Like you guys didn't exactly. even know who Tanganga was two years ago. But sadly, if if, if he's not doing well, Mourinho still prefers that seniority, yep. which which is honestly just just him, and he's gotten so much stick for it for so long, yep. and he still doesn't change, and it's just what it is. I love the fact that McTominay was like the one player that was young that Mourinho actually trusted. It's such like a typical Mourinho player, but it, I, I'm a big fan of McTominay. And I just think that's such an interesting one. That's like that really, that's the one that you had so much faith in. Um, yeah, just bizarre. But yeah, I, I do think Tottenham are really just overstretching this season to the point where they're so reliant on a 4-2-3-1 um, and these players that are playing week in, week out. And it's not going to be their day every single time especially if they're going to start Doherty and Sanchez at the back you can be very exposed with those two as you're and especially when Hugo Lloris as well is not honestly not at his very best either it's, it's just at a very bad place everyone knows my opinions on Tottenham they need a two center backs and a goalkeeper and they will be top four in no time um, but I was just I was really happy to see Arteta like you mentioned already Costi I think it's great that he's had so much reliance on young players since the start of the year because he was looking like he was going to get sacked. And then all of a sudden he starts ML Smith-Rowe and Brandon Martin Odegaard and Kieran Tierney, who's 23, also starts to do very well. And 
now his job is completely safe. He's found a way to get Odegaard and Smith Rowe in the same team, which was a big fear of a lot of people when all of these January transfer rumors were coming in. And it's it's been really nice to see. I don't know if you have any takes on this, Russell, and and Arsenal's form right now, but it's really nice to see Arteta actually favoring you. Like they're they're somewhat fun to watch, you know. Like you know, like a lot of we didn't really talk about on the first goal, like Doherty's role. I mean, not Kieran Tierney's role. Like he absolutely bamboozled him there. That's like something I would see out of like Byron and Alfonso Davies and other, you know, Andy Robertson, even you know, a Liverpool fan, you know. Um, you know, so like I think they're exciting. They got the speed. I think like uh, what Kasi was saying, like with the young talent, with young talent usually comes younger legs, which means faster players. You know, and it feeds into like their whole um, with Lacazette and Aubameyang, super quick players on their in their own right. Um, I think that's like that's what's really fun to watch this Arteta team is like their pure pace, the counterattacking, the fluidity. Um, Burned Leno as a goalkeeper myself. Uh, he's been fun to watch, making some nice saves. Um, I think uh, they just need to be more consistent, obviously. Same with everyone in that kind of area, Liverpool included. And yeah, just exciting and looking forward. Yeah, on that note, I mean, this was a great week for Liverpool. Everton somehow lost to Burnley. Tottenham lost to Arsenal. Um, United won against West Ham. It was, it was a beautiful week as a fan. Uh, Fossey, it doesn't matter, matter, man. We're still going to lose, dude. It doesn't matter whether all the other teams are going to lose to, to Wolves. <laughs> We're going to lose know. to Wolves. Watch Pedro Neto just score a 40-yard. Not going to happen. So let's bring let's bring Russell back in. Let's bring him back from the dead. He's been in his kind of like graveyard over there. We want your takes, Russell, on La Liga. So the title race has been blowing up. And I know you've been impressed with Barcelona's form. Do you think they have a chance of catching Atletico? Yeah, man. I honestly think Barcelona have what it takes to win the La Liga. Just so you know, right now they have 56 points. They have a game in hand. I'm very confident they're going to win the next game. Therefore, they're going to be only four points away from Atletico. And that's not a lot. Right now, it's match day 27. And so there are 11 games left. And if you're four points away, that's not much. I think Atletico has been extremely poor uh, since the start of February. Just so just so you know, in the past eight La Liga games, Atletico has drawn four times and they lost once to Levante. But another really like interesting thing to know is... Um, by match day 19th, because you know how, like, the 38 games in the season, on the 19th match day, that's half point. They only drew twice, and they lost once. That means they had 50 points halfway through the season. If they duplicated their form, they would have gone 100. But now, yeah, in the past eight, they've dropped points five times, so I'm pretty sure that Barca have what it takes. I'm not too worried about Atletico. I'm more worried about Real Madrid, because Real Madrid is a team that, even without Ronaldo... They can still they can come clutch, and Barca still have to play both Madrid teams. I don't know how that's gonna turn out. So honestly, we we'll just take it week by week and see where it goes. I don't know. Like Atletico have been so overloaded in recent weeks between the Champions League and the Copa del Rey, and then making up for their games in hand in La Liga. It's been just a bit too much, and I think Simeone's oddly enough shifted away from two striker systems in a few of these matches which hasn't really gone to plan, and I'm not sure why he's done that, simply because you rely on a 4-4-2 so often in the past decade of working with Atletico and then gradually shift into this kind of like 3-1-4-2. Both have much of the same principles of play, and I'm not sure why he's suddenly, in some of these matches, abandoned that. It's been quite strange to see like Luis Suarez all on his own. But I just don't get it, Russell. Like, 
if the storyline all season is that Barcelona aren't very good and then they win the title, where on earth are we in the social commentary of football? Where are we in terms of like the quality of La Liga, if that's the case? I don't deny it. And especially if you look across the entire season, starting from, I guess, September, I think the season started till the end. La Liga is definitely not the best. They might not even be top two. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, if you're really looking at it from January onwards, I think La Liga is pretty much just behind the Premier League. Because as of right now, like I don't see the Bundesliga doing too well. Um, How dare you? <laughs> Sorry, so only Bayern and, and Dortmund. Uh, French league, you know, it's it's obvious. Okay, don't even talk about French. Syria, Syria has been super exciting this year. I think Syria is exciting, but I think the problem is that's because the best team, which is Inter Milan, based on you know their position, until like I don't know sixth, seventh, like Napoli, Roma. I think they're all just like six out of ten, seven out of ten teams. I don't think I don't think that's a single Syria team that is like a superstar team. I don't think any team in Syria is an 8 out of 10. I think Inter- 8 out of 10 is like... Inter Milan or AC Milan or as well. Man United. I think, Dor- I think Dortmund's 8 out of 10. Like, you know, Dortmund's considering... Dortmund's 9 your- out of 10. Let's go, Russell. <laughs> oh, all right. Give me that 9. This is what I think. I actually think Atletico, both Madrid teams, and Barcelona, right today, right now, I think they're both... They're All three of them are very good teams. I think they're all in the 8s. You know, um... Barcelona started the La Liga season eight very bad. I think in the first, like the first half of the season, they've drawn like four times. They lost like three times. That's very poor. But since the start of the year, I think they've only dropped points once. Right? That's maybe like once in the last ten games. That's incredible. Um, so I think La Liga is starting to pick up. Um, however, you know Barca are out of the um, out of the Champions League, and I'm actually really sad just because like. It's so unfortunate they had to pay PSG. Yeah, Costi, do you have any opinions on this? Do you think anyone from Barcelona can lead them to better days like a Frankie Dion or Lionel Messi still at the top of his game? Honestly, I think uh, Frankie Dion might even be too hyped. Um, when he came in, you know, everybody was talking about, hey, he's going to be the next Iniesta. He's going he's gonna to walk the midfield in, in La Liga. and. And hasn't really hasn't really happened yet, and might not happen. So I, I really don't think that uh, that that guy is going to take them anywhere. I think, and also like their coach appointment, like what is the nostalgia eleven, where you just bring in somebody who played for them, and then he's got to take them to the next level. Like what 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 is this? Why why won't you try something different? Clearly, it's not working. You've seen it. Clearly, it's not working. Maybe try something different once in a while, and Messi would want to stay, right? Um, yeah. I just I, I've I've just I've seen what I've seen of of La Liga, and I don't support any team in La Liga per se, so I'm not uh, that associated with it. But it's it's just it's just the intensity. Like every game seems to be way slower, and the pace. Like if I can if I can be okay making food on the side, I don't want to watch that game. You know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> like I want to be involved to the point that I'm sitting. And just that's the only thing I can do is watch because if I don't watch, something wild will happen that I'll miss, right? And that's what I feel with the Liga. Every time I watch a game, it's like these guys are slow. Like they're the the main thing I think is their midfields are not pressured to the point where 
where they give away balls. Like I mean, in in EPL we see that like uh, most games are lost or won in the in the midfield for the most part, right? And you see like in La Liga, it's it's the midfield is so slow, and that's I think that's why I I could never really be a big part of it. On the point that if if Atletico really loses league, I think. I mean, they've they've really gotta they've really gotta look into what what's happening at the club. Like they should not be throwing away this league. Uh, both Real and ba- uh, Barcelona have had an extremely poor season. Uh, Luis Suarez being the leading goal scorer. I obviously being a Liverpool fan, I, I love that guy. He really shoved it up Barcelona's rear end there by by Lucas, <laughs> and uh, it's amazing. It's amazing to watch it because you sold this guy because he was too old, and now he's the top scorer. Like that's you know that's legit. Yeah, I love the storylines, and I want the storyline to stay true. It was only a few weeks ago when people were talking, and all of the dialogue was about, can Atletico break records this season and all of that? I still think they have what it takes to seal the deal and make it all the way and win La Liga. Just on the point as well you made about like La Liga being slow, I also find it just so interesting how many teams are like shockingly like Burnley which is so strange to me because you think about La Liga as like this elegant passing league where like everyone just passes around and it's it's slow and like but there's legitimately four teams in the league who play like a worse lawn ball game than Burnley. Haibar, <laughs> Osasuna, Getafe, and Real Valladolid. Um, I'm just astonished that that's a thing that holds true in this like elegant passing league that is supposed to have so much like possession and playing out from the back i i, I try watching the funny. championship then if you want a little bit more entertainment there uh, championship's I, been exciting yeah very exciting this is very random but everyone listening out there zimming is uh a man of very vast interests and this guy will watch like league four games and he'll like want to discuss it with you and you know what like i love the game but that i i can't watch league four i don't even know what the heck is that is you know so but but i do want to <laughs> for the ask viewers you. for the viewers out there uh league four doesn't actually exist i think <laughs> what Kosti is referring to uh league two? Well, i mean league two is the first tier of professional football in the U- in england so I don't know if you're talking about the um, the conference yeah. or are you talking about yeah, the no, nation, I was, I was, national league. I was league? talking about. Pro- okay, so he doesn't even know what he's talking about. <laughs> 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 week two. Week two. I just, just need to clarify interested. for the viewers out there. Week four yeah, doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. I'm just interested to what is what is it about like the championship? Like, which team do you support? Are, are there players do you like? What happened? Like, how Oliver much? Skip at Norwich. Yeah. Like, oh. what what is it? <laughs> I mean, okay, so. I've personally seen a championship game before, and a lot of there's a lot of talk out there saying it's the most competitive league in the world, um, and some people even claim the most competitive all sports. And by that uh, is there isn't much separating the top few teams. Any team can beat any team. Um, you know, you don't have your giants because if you get good in the championship, you go to the Premier League, right? And it, so there's always this, and the wage bill, the ownership structures from you know the first team to the last team in the championship isn't much different. You don't have you know your oil riches Man City. You don't have your you know your Roman Abramovich backside. It's a lot of it is you know locally owned fan trusts, or you know a couple of rich people you know having certain equity stakes in the club, right? So you don't have that certain advantage of money of one over the other. 
And on the other side, you know, no team has a lot more sponsorship deals or commercial value than others, right? You don't really see, you know, Wickham Wanderers, you know, on like your front, you know, page news of like your Nike websites or whatnot, right? So with that, there's a lot of more even level in playing. And, you know, as a fan, I really love watching competitive games where, you know, I'm on the edge of my seat because I know that if, you know, Birmingham were to play Preston North End, if Birmingham scored in the 15th minute, you know, I'm never counting Preston out of the game because that game can easily run into a 4-4 draw at the end of the game. And that's something that's very, very entertaining. Because I don't support a team, well, hopefully Tottenham's going to the championship one day or else that'll be my first team I support in the championship. It's just really fun watching two teams that play a very entertaining brand of football you know, with a similar structure of backing and players of similar qualities. And it's also a place where a lot of Premier League players to go prove themselves, right? So you don't see, like, your guys out there who, you know, talking about Mizzet Ozil types, you know, who don't really do much <laughs> and just sit up and eat up the wage bill. You see people who really go in for the tackles, people who really run their heart and soul out in, into the whole game and, you know, come back with, you know, a, a jersey full of sweat and because that's the you know main point of the beautiful game there, right? So... And also another area of it is the support. A lot of the championship support is very local. It's a very, I guess, more family focused. People really care about their team. And seeing that as a football fan, that really makes the whole claim of them be more legitimate. And I think I, I love that, that you said that because there, there's definitely a shout out there for the Premier League and, and other leagues uh, within this game to adopt more of a sort of football slash basketball trading salary cap style. And we should definitely, I think I think there's, there's a shout for an episode here where we just talk about how, I mean, starting off with commenting on what happened with Man City and PSG and the FFP, right? And how that's that's a sham up to the point where we, you know, why isn't, why isn't it more fair that you need you know, you you can only have trades, and you should have a salary cap, and that keeps yeah. things interesting. An oligarch like Roman Abramovich can't come in with his billions and just take Chelsea to the top. And and Man City can't just buy four goalkeepers because Gordiello was like, I don't like your neck tattoo, so I'm going to buy another keeper, <laughs> and there goes another fifty million. I that's that's a great point, and uh, maybe I'll start watching the League Four, or League Two, whatever that is. <laughs> and just to go back to your point, I think, well, I spent more of my time watching the championship. So anything below the championship, League One, League Two, the football does get a little bit different from the stuff we're really used to. Again, better than anything we can conjure up in our lifetimes because they are professionals. They are getting paid. How dare but... you? <laughs> well, to the viewers out there, you know, there's always potential to make it to the Premier League. You know, I'm just saying you know, these guys I'm talking to right now are all well into their 20s. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> one day they'll make their debut for uh, for dude, Oxford United. Training. What do you think? I never know. This whole, this whole <laughs> sign, dude. Yeah, I've been training. Yeah, costly, costly argument for Oxford United in two years, right? <laughs> There's also the championship playoffs, which I think many people disregard. And that's very, very fun and intriguing. You know, the finals are played at Wembley. There's a lot of emotions. And I think one of the greatest sports moments of all time was when Leicester was playing Watford and Watford hit them on that counter after that penalty yeah. kick in the last yeah. minute. Hey, that's the championship. Yeah, exactly. And right? great managers have come from the championship. Oh, absolutely. What's the name? Frank Lampard we, we, we were talking about? Amazing managers. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, the championship is actually super exciting. With it being a 46-game season as well, it adds to that sort of physical demand on it and the intensity of it. So it is really interesting to hear your opinion on the championships, I mean, out of nowhere. But it is actually like a nice and unintentional segue because um, speaking of the championship, 
Sheffield United, they are definitely going to be going back down. And this weekend witnessed the sad sacking, shall we say, of Chris Wilder leaving the club by air quotes mutual consent. I really worry for Sheffield United. They were very bad against Leicester, and I don't mean just because of the score going. The attitude, the desire, none of it was right, and it felt that way right from the very first whistle, and like I don't remember Norwich ever being that bad. I really worry for Sheffield United because you look at a club like Huddersfield who sacked David Wagner toward the end of their um, time in the Premier League once they were relegated, and look at them now. You look at Sunderland or Hull City, and they're in League One, not League Three, Costi, League One. Um, <laughs> and like, but on the contrary, you look at something like Norwich. They stick with Daniel Farke, they're coming right back up. Fulham, they stick with Scott Parker, they're coming right. They came right back coming up. Right so back I, down. <laughs> not, not quite. Well, not. not. Um, but yeah, I do, I do worry for Sheffield United. I just don't feel like it was the right time to sack Chris Wilder. I mean, when the season started. Many people were talking about second season syndrome, and it is a thing in the Premier League. And a big reason why Sheffield United did so well in their first season when people were pegging them to, you know, being the Champions League top four, you know, beating teams week in, week out, was they had a very unique system. And we all know here, they're three at the back, five in the midfield and two up front with their overlapping center backs was something the Premier League has never really seen. Um, And even if they saw anything remotely like that, it was never orchestrated by Chris Wilder's vision. And so keep in mind, the guy took the job at Sheffield in, I believe, 2018, I think, or sometime then. Chris Wilder? Yeah. He he came in 2016. 16, okay. So they were in League One back then, right? Yes. And he was very successful in orchestrating promotions to the championship and then back to the Premier League. And the system he's been building up has is largely something he used throughout his career in Sheffield. You know, when teams would just sit back and defend against his blade side, he has this 3-5-2 in which, you know, his overlapping center backs would, you know, all of a sudden have the ball usually play on one side and then the center back would run to the other end to support the wing back and all of a sudden shift and dictate the play to the end of the field. And all of a sudden you're hitting this, you're hitting a team where, you know, they're not even prepared on the other side for so this really unique system of play was very effective in using his resources he had, which wasn't much, you know, coming from a team in League One. And so this system was something that teams couldn't really do, deal with. And that really led to him being successful throughout, which also took the Premier League by storm, right? No one knew what this even was. So, you know, that was good. It was good. It was cool. You know, team saw it twice. And then come the end of the season, and injuries hit. One of the main reasons why they did so well was on their left center back, they had Jack O'Connell. And Jack O'Connell played two games this entire season. He was injured. So Chris Wilder has been rotating many different players in that position, all of which to no avail. You know, you have your you know newer players, you have your older players, but no one, you know, you're Phil Jack Yelkas even, right? You, you don't, it, it doesn't produce that same effect. That IQ on the field, understanding when to overlap, when to switch into their very fluid positions, it's just not there with someone who wasn't who hasn't been with the system since their days in League One, right? So you know the injury problems is one thing, especially uh, you know hitting them on the heart of their success, and secondly, you can never really ignore that Dean Henderson just left, right? Sure, Aaron Ramsdale is a okay goalkeeper, but he wasn't anything like what Dean Henderson could produce last season. Because what was he like right behind Ederson? No, sorry, Allison in like his like clean sheets or whatnot yep. at some point of the season. 
right? Um, you know, every time, you know, I, I, I read up on news or I follow one football or I see things, it's always, you know, Ramsdale makes another mistake. You know, Ramsdale fails to, you know, clear the ball again. Except for when he was playing against Liverpool, this, this dude became Neuer in the first <laughs> well, half. <I> mean... <laughs> like, what the? But, but no, that's that's a great point. And, and to everyone listening out there, I guess injuries can cause... Oh, true, true. And ...cause uh, trouble. So lay off Especially Liverpool. when true, you're true. a team. I was going to say out there. And I mean, especially when you're a team like Sheffield United, you have a system that's so ingrained that players follow for so many seasons that you've seen so much success for. You have this very core team, right? And Chris Wilder himself, like he's, you know, him as a manager, he's someone who really focuses on the fundamentals and building genuine connections with his players, right? You don't see big names coming in and out of Sheffield that often, right? He, When he's on the training field, he makes sure everybody runs their heart out, right? And I even have a really funny story here. So back when, before he took the Sheffield job, he was the manager of Northampton Town. So again, Costi, we're going back to League Four now. Um, <laughs> so at Northampton Town, he went three months unpaid. Have you heard of Premier League managers going months unpaid to a point where he was buying groceries at the supermarket and his credit card got denied? There's no money in there anymore, right? So coming from that of a background, he demands his players that no matter what money they're making, no matter what spotlight they're in, to be playing for their badge, to be running the whole time, to really buy into their fluidity of their system, right? And so, you know, all these years, this core team has really done well. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you get hit with these really strong injuries. Nobody really understands what they're doing. Right. You get like Rian Brewster from from Swansea and he's just in that team being like, OK, he doesn't really find his groove here. You know, that combined with the fact that teams are starting to adapt to the three, five, two formation is what really is seeing Sheffield United's demise. The other season, the other thing I've I've heard uh, in the news is that Sheffield, like Liverpool, are one of the teams that really miss fans. That's a big part yeah. of their success. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Any comments on that? What do, oh, what yeah. do you think? That's actually a really interesting going, point you brought up. Yeah, maybe so going to watched, first because I want to I want to hear like a technical technical guy talk about the non-technical sort of intangible aspects. No, of that's a very good point. So a little personal story. I was in London. I was fortunate to be in London uh, two summers ago. Um, so while I was in London, the Premier League wasn't on. It was in the summer, so the Championship had its early. It starts earlier, right? And so I, I bought a ticket to Loftus Road, which is the home of the Queen's Park Rangers, and they held Sheffield United when they were still in the championship. Uh, you know, I was a neutral fan. I didn't really, like, care as much. So just in there to see the game. So I noticed one thing was I couldn't really pinpoint who was who on Sheffield United. I thought that player was a center back, but all of a sudden this guy's halfway up the field on the left <laughs> side. And in my knowledge, I say, first of all, he's out of position. And this isn't going to work. But before you know it, Sheffield won the game 2-1, right? So that was one thing that really confused me is this system they're playing is really, really deadly. And just the speed of going down the flanks is is crazy. Like I sat right very close to the front. I can even feel sometimes the wind when they run by, right? Like that was something I've never seen before. And then when the game was over, I remember walking back to the tube station and the Sheffield United fans are just chanting the whole time, you know, as they were leaving the stadium as well. And keep in mind, you know, Sheffield is pretty far from London. Like these people had to take the train a long time to get down south. And the whole time when the game was on, these guys never stopped singing. They say the Blades have one of the biggest fan bases in all of UK. Right. And I remember uh, David McGoldrick that time got a penalty. And before he took the penalty, 
um, the Sheffield United away fans that are throwing toilet paper at QPR's, you know, goalkeeper. So <laughs> I'll let I'll I'll let the audience analyze what that really means. But you know, um, you know, it, the passion was just there the whole time. And even when Sheffield won the game, I, I believe some of their fans were still inviting some of the QPR fans to come for a fight if they if they feel like you know it's it's not the result they wanted. So that level of passion, that level of nonstop singing, the toilet paper throwing that big commute down to London and they packed the away stands fully. I feel like the away support was even stronger than home support is a firsthand testament to the power of Sheffield United's 12th man. I just sort of feel like that's every club. I really do believe that if fans are in the stadium or aren't in the stadium, it really shouldn't matter. If the mentality of the players are strong enough, there should be no difference between fans are in the stadium and fans are not in the stadium. To have it be a conversation of like, oh, it's affecting Liverpool. Why isn't it affecting the other 19 Premier League teams then? Because they were used to playing empty stadiums. That's not. And that's what I mean, right? Like, is there is that a valid reason? Is that is that just a part of football that makes it great, or is that something that's a cop out? That's a good question. I think that some teams do better than others with fans, and this is where I'm going to quantify it um, because. Say, for example, if you are Barcelona and you are in the new Camp, the new Camp holds 100,000 people, right? And for the sake of simplicity, let's just say 100,000 people come all the time. I think it's valid to say that, yes, if you're Barcelona, when you play at home, you have the added advantage, apart from you being such a good team already, you have the added advantage of having 100,000 fans come and watch you week in, week out. If you support, or if you're part of a team that has 10,000 fans, I don't know, Watford, Sunderland, Southampton, these teams, I don't know how big this All of them have over 30,000, at least. All of the ones you mentioned. But, but the thing is, 30,000, 40,000 is clearly less than half of 100,000. So I want to say that fans do play, fans do play a role. It shouldn't be a reason as to why you're not performing well. Like... Look, if you, they're a factor, right? Having fans is a factor to your performance. That factor is not quantifiable. You can say by having fans, you're going to win a certain percentage of your games. But without having fans, then you will not. But I think that's our mass answering Kossi's question now. I think it's just a way for them to cop out. Uh, but that's really unfair. And I think the most important, uh, or like the club that shows, shows this the most is Liverpool, right? Last six home games in Anfield, all losses. I think in the previous episode, I said it's due to fans. They play a factor for sure, but it should not be the reason. The reason should be because Liverpool is just bad. Simple as that. Kevin, any any comments I on think, the Anfield magic? Yeah, I think, you know, it's some good points, Russ, but, but I also like want to go back to what Reese was saying about like football players, regardless of the atmosphere, mentality-wise, should be on top of it. But I think actually, to flip it around, the fans and everything are part of that mentality. You know, every day, like if you're, for example, like when Liverpool won the league and Champions League, you know, the fans were part of that experience, right? That was part of their mental. Like, you don't just go run over to there and sing, you'll never walk her alone to like an empty group, empty seats, right? You go there because of the fans that's in their mind. So now that, you know, with the pandemic and everything, you don't play in front of fans. Now that part of that part of it is kind of out of it. So you're kind of missing something mentally. So part of your match day routine, when you're looking in the morning, when you look at the stadium, it's you're missing something. So I think yes, I agree that it's definitely something that like especially Liverpool that really relies on or the players rely on it. That is also a cop out, but also that's like something that they overcome. That's part of the mental part of it. 
right? It's the same thing like when you play in neutral venues, right? So like Liverpool against Leipzig, they played the last two games um, in, in neutral venues. So I think that that's definitely part of it. The whole mentality of it with the fans, that's like part of it. And I think what this has shown is that the, the truly the best players that are able to overcome that that mental difference, I guess, are the ones that are really uh, dominating. Yeah, you're totally right. Borussia Dortmund's problems this season, it's all been the fans. Aiden Terzic's management, not a problem. Manuel Kanji and Mats Hummels playing together in a back four, not a problem at all. It's all been the fans. I completely agree. Wow. Yeah, and and some teams feel the impact of not having fans more than other teams. You have the yellow wall. We have our Anfield. We have the so-called cop. Right now we don't have oh, any you guys are You guys are forgetting. I feel like the best set of fans who actually make a difference in the game are Sunderland's fans with a beach ball at Enfield. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so definitely let us know your thoughts. Do you think fans impact the game currently and whether or not Liverpool, Sheffield United, teams like these are underperforming because of the lack of not having any fans? This is a really fun discussion. Zimming, Kevin, thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it was absolutely great. And obviously, thank you to all who submitted questions for the show. We really appreciate you submitting things so that we can have more talking points and discuss what you want to hear about. So every Saturday night, make sure you're looking out on Instagram at MastermindSite, at Desmond Reese, at RussellToe96, at Windchill to get all of your questions in. Costi. Any final thoughts before we go? Yeah, I just wanted to say we uh, just right today, we started a Football Masterminds Instagram and it's at Football Masterminds, F-U-T-B-O-L underscore Masterminds, M-A-S-T-E-R-M-I-N-D-S. We're planning to create this page to not only just promote our website and the Mastermind site with all of its glory, we're also looking to engage more with our fans. Uh, We're looking to get your thoughts on the the Euros, the Champions League, the Premier League, the La Liga, and your Serie A, and more. Um, League 4. Go, <laughs> League 4. <laughs> Give it a follow, um, and please comment your questions, your thoughts, what topics we should cover next, and uh, we're, uh, we're looking forward to hearing from you guys. And whether or not you also hate Winchell. <laughs> Russell, any final thoughts before you go? I just want to say I hate I hate Winchell. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, uh, yeah, I was just going to mention what he said. Uh, we created a new Instagram account. We also created a new Clubhouse account as well. And we'll really appreciate it if you could give us a follow. Um, we just want to grow this as much as we can. And we, we really want to make this as big as we can, as much as possible. We're very open to inviting people to come and be guests on our show. Kevin, where can people find you if they want to keep up with what you have going on? Oh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Kevin Rodriguez, just find me on LinkedIn. There we Not go. <laughs> just find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> nice. And Zimming, the tactical analysis here was unbelievable. Finally, someone to talk at my level. <laughs> oh! Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, Zimming, where can people find uh, you? So if anybody wants to talk to me a little bit more about Tottenham, I'm more than happy to chat with you through Instagram. My handle is ZimingGao, so Z-I-M-I-N-G-G-A-O. And I'll happily continue our conversation then. Awesome. Thank you so much to all of you for being on this call with me to discuss everything going on in football right now. It was a great one. Very much enjoyed it. And thank you all for listening. We hope to see you back next week for another show. Have a good one and goodbye. (laughs)